Whereas if you have a, a lousy group that's really taking their lead... Nope, I don't want to put a judgment on that. <laughs> dangerous tinder account just trying to keep it casual in new york city i'm your host shane and i'm your host ishan and welcome to episode 60 of total party thrill a podcast for game masters and players where we discuss our campaigns in order to inspire yours in this episode we're continuing our series on player profiles this time we're talking about everybody's favorite no show the casual gamer but first the party gets new clues in the morning glory campaign and later the old man of the mountain delivers wise words and powerful punches in the character creation forge so, Shane, a couple weeks ago, there was a big event from PAX West featuring Acquisitions, Inc. Yeah. So this was Labor Day weekend in the United States. It was a, I guess it's a tr- tradition for Acquisitions, Inc., but they do a live play at PAX West each year. And I guess they've been streaming it over Twitch like they normally do. But this is the first year that it was actually streamed nationwide in movie theaters through Fathom Events which you've probably seen as a preview of the movie that you were intending to watch. Yeah, they've done this with things like the opera or the ballet. Yeah. If you can't actually get to Broadway, you go to one of your local movie theaters, you sit down at the appointed time, and you watch a live broadcast. Right, or like concerts, I think, sometimes. Yeah, Michael Bolton. Right, yeah, it's always somebody <laughs> like that. It's like like Vegas acts. That some no-talent <laughs> yeah. ass clown. Right. <laughs> But this is the first time that D&D has been the subject of Fathom Events broadcast. So you went. I didn't go. Yes. Because, well, it was on the West Coast, so they were broadcasting it live. So it was 9.30 on a Sunday night here yeah. in New York. Yeah, it ended after midnight. This is true. Which is way after my bedtime. And it was also... passing out time. Yeah, and it was on a Sunday night. Mm-hmm. Um, granted, it was a holiday weekend, but still, you know, a Sunday night. <laughs> so... What was the vibe like? Who was there? How did it go? Like, And would you go again? Not many people were there. The people who were there, I think, were really into Acquisitions, Inc. That ah. was the impression that I got. Uh, it was it was very much people who knew the Acquisitions, Inc. kind of story and characters and everything, right? And so, so Acquisitions, Inc. is Chris Perkins, who's a longtime designer for Wizards of the Coast. He was a, an editor for either Dragon or Dungeon or both magazines. You know, he's written a bunch of scenarios, a, a bunch of adventures. He was, uh, I think he wrote Storm King's Thunder, actually. Storm's King Thunder. Whatever it mean. is. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Definitely not that. Uh, so he's a DM for it. There's um, uh, four players. They've got, you know, long-running characters in, a, in an ongoing campaign set in Forgotten Realms. It's a, almost an official actual play, basically. Yeah, I mean, I think it's geek and sundry, but... You know, it, it's as close to an official actual play as you're going to get. Basically, them and Critical Role are the two big ones, right? And uh, it was interesting. I mean, it was a little bit surreal for me, even as long as I've been a gamer, right? To be filing into a somewhat crowded movie theater on a Sunday night to watch other people playing D and D. Was it actually somewhat crowded? Well, not for not for D and D. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> uh, our theater had, like, I think by showtime, probably thirty people in it. And that's in Manhattan. Yeah. I, I heard the Union Square one had a little bit better crowd and was a little better organized. Okay. Um, you were in Times Square. I was in Times Square. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, different theater companies as well. 
Well, AMC didn't back this very much. Uh, I also didn't see any promotional material or anything within the theater for it, which I was a little surprised. I thought, you know, there would be a decent push for for that, but I guess not. Um, the only real promotion I saw from it was between the PAX account on Twitter, Wizards official account on Twitter, and they had a, uh, a sponsorship spot on Hello from the Magic Tavern, a improvised comedy podcast. So I don't know. I was uh, I was a bit underwhelmed by the showing, but I actually had fun at the event. Was that because you were live tweeting? Well, I was live tweeting it. <laughs> yep. Uh, so I was probably the only person on my phone the entire time. I didn't get all of the jokes, but I had enough fun. Patrick Rothfuss is one of the players um, who many people know as an author. He is hilarious, right? He gets comedy, <laughs> and and it's very much played for comedy, right? They do a lot of lot of improv and sort of those in character interactions, right? All centered around Acquisitions Inc. is actually a company in the Forgotten Realms that's in the business of adventuring. So you know they made plenty of jokes about their internship program and the general rise in intern deaths that they've been trying to combat. <laughs> uh, you know those kind of things, which I found amusing. But yeah, I mean, I don't know. I don't think this is going to become a thing, right? Where people are filing into movie theaters to watch D and D. I was a little disappointed that there weren't new players or new potential players being exposed because I thought this was a, a big way to do that. Um, and it seemed that everybody who was there was there because of Acquisitions Inc. Yeah, that could be logistical though. Like late at night in a movie theater, it does seem like sort of a strange way to get new people involved. Especially because, I mean, actual plays in general aren't for everyone. Yeah. And then this is even a more specialized one. Yeah. I, I put it out there on Twitter. I thought I expected to see some kids trying to bring their parents to sort of show them what D&D is about. One of my followers very astutely pointed out that he intended to go with his kids to introduce them to D&D. I didn't see that pairing at all. There was nobody under the age of 22 or so in the theater uh, where we watched it. So well, only millionaires have children in Manhattan. Well, that's a good point. Manhattan is a bit of a, yeah, <laughs> a bit of a limited audience there, uh, as it were. <laughs> but uh, I, I would be curious to hear feedback from other places. We also had a little snafu with the, it, it came with an adventure book, a short adventure that's about, I don't know, 20 pages long. And ours were not distributed up front. We had to go ask the manager. And so I know people left the theater without getting their copy of it. And now I've heard that lots of theaters just have boxes of these things that didn't get passed out. So You might want to go check it out. I have heard that some people took multiples and now are selling them on eBay. Don't oh, buy from those people because those people are jerks. Wait, should I sell my extra copy? You probably should. Yeah. I definitely have an extra copy. <laughs> I mean, they were just giving them out. <laughs> yeah, I've heard a lot of people would actually even go sort of like you did to to ask for their copies and the theater was like oh i had no idea that we were supposed to have anything we don't have anything well i i mean when i went i so full disclosure i had a press pass and so when i went to you know turn in the confirmation to get <laughs> my tickets they were like uh what press what what are we doing what is this show and i'm like <laughs> uh i've got an email <laughs> Like I printed it. I I went to a hotel near my apartment to print it out because I don't have a printer. It said, come to a movie theater and I would get a book. Right. It was like, talk to the manager. And he's like, well, I'm the manager. I'm just going to give you a ticket. There's not that many people going. <laughs> All right. Thanks, man. But I don't know. So I had fun for the night. I had fun tweeting it. Uh, there was a good good Twitter following, um, even despite the late hour. So it was fun to to watch and be a part of. 
I'd go back next year, but I wouldn't necessarily recommend it as like must-see TV. So stay tuned for the next live tweet. Uh, stay tuned for the next big thing in D&D. <laughs> <laughs> All right, let's move on to uh, our own home game, the Morning Glory campaign. That's our 80 session three year 5e game that was set in Eberron that we've been recounting every episode. So last time the party had solved a murder mystery. That was actually episode 58 because last week we talked with Monty Cook. So the situation as it stands, High Cardinal Crozen of Thrain is dead and the party has exposed Caius of Karnath as a vampire. Now, by saving the other monarchs of the five nations from said vampire, they've also won their trust, which really just sort of allowed me as GM to sweep the geopolitical issues under the table so that the party could continue with the main quest since they're level 18 right now. Yeah, I'm sure Karnath with no head of state won't be any geopolitical problem in the future. (laughs) Well, you've only really got four days in game left to solve the entire problem. So (laughs) (laughs) we're good. So at the end of the murder mystery episode we said that your party should be getting some kind of loot at the end now with the morning glory party as high level as they already are for them the best stuff to get at this point was xp so they could level up and information because they mostly had the end game gear that they already wanted so a search of high cardinal crozen's chambers earlier had revealed that he had some suspicions of the new keeper of the flame lauren davis who had replaced Jayla Darren in a coup. After solving the murder mystery, the party searched the Carnathy chambers very thoroughly, and they found an amulet, a bloodstone amulet, exactly like Zorland Kanath had all the way back in Zendrick when they were first fighting the Drow Queen. And remind me, Zorland Kanath was the guy that we dropped dead in the <laughs> in the continent of Zendrick and left for the crows, right? You did you split his head in half? His skull, and then brought his skull back to prove that you had killed him. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah, but we left the rest of him behind. That's correct. Now, he was the one who was trying to steal what you keep calling the, the Necrotuke, the Book of Vile Darkness. The Codex Malleus. There you go. Which the party is now currently in possession of, after uh, having gone back to the Drow Queen to recover it. Right, because it contains the true name of Belshalor, the Shadow in the Flame. The party believes, yes. So the party sees this bloodstone amulet and goes, uh, uh-oh. We've seen this before. And Marala of Karnath, one of the vampires, had said during the battle, she's always watching. So the the party hides that, that amulet, sticks it in a bag, a very dark bag. Yep. They also found signs that Caius and Marala had been under orders to kill the other monarchs, possibly under duress. So maybe they weren't doing it of their own accord. I, I think Bran didn't feel so bad about killing vampires anyway, though. Uh, Bran has never felt bad about killing anybody, <laughs> up to and including the daughter of our paladin. <laughs> oh, are you gonna are you gonna take ownership of that now? Yes, I killed her. No, I'm not. I'm not. I'm not claiming credit for killing Kalig's daughter. I'm just saying I don't feel bad about it. <laughs> <laughs> All right. They also find some objects that Caius and Morala had evidently taken from Crozen's room when they had killed him. There was a signet ring with a contingent teleport. The destination they determine is actually Flamekeep, the capital of Thrain, but the party still needs to figure out what the trigger is for the teleport. And there's a scrap of paper with the name of the new keeper, Lauren Davis, L-O-R-E-N Davis, along with 
permutations of her name, just a list of anagrams, you know, one after the other, each one crossed out, except for the very last one on the paper, which says, Arandis Vol. The party hasn't heard this name before, but they know they'll need to research it later. Of course, the actual players were like, oh, crap. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so Vol, as a last name, might remind you of a big part of the Eberron Pantheon, the Blood of Vol, a cult that worships self, basically. Yeah, and anyone who's even taken a cursory glance through the Ebron Player's Guide knows that Vol, the person, is the Lich Queen. So the players knew what they were sort of heading into. The PCs don't quite yet. So <laughs> being knowledgeable players and naive player <laughs> characters, what do we do? Well, the party presents the evidence to the assembled monarchs, and they all agree that whomever this Arandis Vol is, she's definitely a pretender to the position of keeper. So they agree that they'll begin to muster their armies for an invasion of Thrain. But it's going to take at least four days, and the party knows that they're up against a deadline. In fact, with their studies of the Draconic Prophecy and the calendar, they know the Three Nights of Long Shadows begin in two days, and that's the time at the end of the year that's dedicated to the Shadow, which is one of the gods of the Dark Six in Eberron. But the party thinks that that also sounds just a little too close to the Shadow in the Flame in order to really stay comfortable. They also know that the second night of Long Shadows is called Kyberseph, and scriptures state that the bonds that hold the demon lords within Kyber, including Belshalor, are thinnest between Kyberseph and the Night of the Solstice the next night. All right, so you're saying we got about four days to kill a demon? Yeah, a demon lord, plus the other stuff you got to do. Are you a bad enough dude <laughs> to save the world of Eberron? <laughs> so the party takes stock. You know, they have that prophecy that says, gather these things and then you can kill an immortal being. So they've got four components of it. But they're still missing Belshalor's true name. And, of course, the only way that they know of thus far to get it is with the Book of Vile Darkness. Which, of course, you need to be evil to open. <laughs> so they turn to the only person that they currently know who they've got leverage on who is definitely evil. <laughs> hello oh hi behemoth our book imp bound to a chalice who has only betrayed us once only once how are you doing today (laughs) would you like to go kill someone much bigger and meaner than you i would how about next week all right so this week we are talking about casual gamers continuing our series on the player personality types Uh, That started back in episode 30 when we talked about munchkins and power gamers, 38 when we talked about method actors, and episode 47 when we talked about specialist players. So what is a casual gamer? As usual, we turn to Robin's laws of good game mastering. In part, his definition is that they're low-key folks who are uncomfortable taking center stage, even in a small group. They're often present just to hang out with the group, and they game because it happens to be the activity everyone else likes to do. Almost everyone has had an encounter with a casual gamer or probably has one in their group right now. The person who just kind of tags along, they show up less often than most people. If something else comes up, they probably do that instead of coming to the game. Yeah. They're also that cliche significant other, right? Who tags along with their boyfriend or girlfriend, but doesn't really care about the game. Yeah. They don't really fit that well into the archetypes 
of players in the 5e DMG. It's on page six. Because all of those personality types are pretty invested in actually playing the game. Yeah, in fairness to the DMG, right? It's assuming you've got players who want to be there. Right. <laughs> uh, and that's that's just not always the case in every single group situation. You know, we would love to have five or six passionate players at every game, but life gets in the way sometimes. So if you've got this player who doesn't even really want to be there, why would you want them in your group? Well, I think the biggest thing to keep in mind is that just because you have a player at your table who's a quote-unquote casual gamer now doesn't mean that they're always going to be a casual gamer, right? There's a recruiting process into this hobby, and lots of people dip their toes in the water before they, you know, jump all the way in. Yeah, recruiting, initiation, brainwashing? Yeah, uh, something like Stockholm Syndrome. (laughs) Play with us long enough. (laughs) Right. (laughs) Maybe it's just really elegant gaslighting. (laughs) Uh, And then the other thing to keep in mind, too, is that as a hobby, RPGs often attract introverts, And so it might just be tough to tell how engaged a person is in your game. The person at the table you might think is a casual gamer may actually be more invested than than you realize. Right. And we'll talk about converting a casual gamer into someone who's more invested a bit later in the episode. So let's talk about genuinely casual gamers at our table. Well, they are a body in the seat at the table. They help when you're trying to reach quorum. We're in Manhattan, but a lot of people are gaming in places where there aren't a lot of other gamers around. I've definitely been in situations where it's really tough to get five or six people for a group who want to meet every week. You know, maybe you can find three. And you can run with two players and a GM, but it's so much easier if you've got one or even two people who are like, hey, yeah, I'll drop in, you know, three out of four times. Why not? Right. Casual gamers are also generally agreeable at the table. They're not usually a source of major conflict because they're just willing to go along with the game to keep the game going. Yeah, they're not going to be that person who's like, there is absolutely no way that I'm going to play 4th edition. Yeah. Because like, they don't know what 4th edition is. Right, they're never going to play a lawful stupid paladin. Yeah. Because that requires a little bit too much sticking to your guns. <laughs> right. <laughs> kind of going along with that, right? It, they naturally moderate the vibe of the group. So they're going to help manage conflict. They're going to help kind of move forward, find middle ground. They're going to help avoid going down deep rabbit hole tangents that are just, (laughs) frankly, uninteresting to listen to. Two people argue over rules of third edition grappling. Yeah, sometimes it's good to have someone who's like kind of bored with the rules lawyer's banter. Right. And just like, I don't know, man, can we move on? Yeah, like, I I don't care. (laughs) (laughs) I'm only here for three hours. I don't want to do this. And it's sometimes much easier to have the casual gamer do it than you as the GM always have to police it. Right. It also, I think, moderates a lot of these other personality types that we talk about are strong personalities. And sometimes it's nice to have that casual gamer who almost sort of like throws their vote in with whomever doesn't have someone else yeah. on their side. They're yeah. like, oh, you know, that sounds good. Let's yeah, do that. Happy to be a teammate. Yeah. <laughs> right. I mean, yeah, casual gamers can often help facilitate consensus building in the group mm-hmm. in general. And one of the reasons that they're so good at that is they're usually someone else's friend. A lot of times you build a group from a bunch of strangers who meet on the internet or at a gaming store or something. The casual gamer usually comes in because they already know somebody in the group. Yeah, they're probably a plus one. Right. And so you bring them along because this is a hobby about hanging out with your friends. Right. Yeah. (laughs) It is at its core a social hobby. So that does mean that sometimes you have this person at the table who isn't that invested, who does 
cause a few problems at the table. So what are some issues that a casual gamer can bring to a table? Well, if you're playing a rules-heavy game especially, Mm -hmm. it might take a while for everyone to grasp what's going on in the rules and in the system, but a casual gamer is just kind of always going to be that way. Yeah, they right. never get to the point where I'm like where they're like, "Oh yeah, yeah, okay. I get it now." Yeah. That makes sense. They're the player you're going to be explaining advantage to every single time you ask them to roll advantage, mm-hmm. right? It's like or or it's like, "Now where do I find that skill on my sheet?" or like, "What's my AC?" Those kind of things you're likely going to have to help through much longer than a more invested player. Of course, on the flip side of that, they're also not going to be trying to poke holes in your explanation. They're not going to be like, wait, but that doesn't make any sense. How can AC not be meat? (laughs) (laughs) They don't care. Yes, that's true. (laughs) Of course, that can really slow down the gameplay when they're asking these questions constantly because they don't really know what's going on, especially during combat. Yeah, the other thing they can do to slow down gameplay is when they don't understand the basic tropes um, and kind of meta conventions of RPGs. Especially if they're the ones who are going to go try and talk to the goblins who are inherently evil and uncivilized and incapable of of negotiating. You know, if everybody else is like, cool, we're going to kick down the door, we're going to bust some orcs heads, and then we're going to get our loot and we're going to go, we're going to go trade that in for more loot. And then we're going to go kick down some doors. We're going to kill some more orcs. Right. And they're like, well, hang on a second. How did the orcs get this way? (laughs) What if we stopped kicking down doors and started sending aid to the orcs? And it's just like, no, dude, that's not what we do. We're called door kickers. Right. We're playing DCC. Right. (laughs) Like, like that's not this game. (laughs) They also always need help building characters in the first place or leveling up characters. Yeah. They're going to need a buddy because they're not going to dig through a rule book to figure that all out themselves. Of course, this is when it's great if you have a munchkin or a power gamer in the group because they can just do that. Yeah, and they can also optimize to no end, and it's unlikely that that character will be played perfectly. <laughs> right. The power gamer is not going to remember, oh, right, the minor action to activate the sword before I take the move action. Yeah, it's the combo isn't always going to like happen, Yeah, <laughs> which is great. So if you're dealing with these issues, you can, for one thing, just choose a simple system to play. Yeah, play a system that highlights the aspect of the game that your casual gamer likes the most. And this often helps out a lot of other people at the table. You know, sometimes you'll have a group where everybody really prefers something very crunchy and and gritty where you need to keep track of everything. But usually, for the most part, people want to play something where they don't have to remember everything constantly. And gravitating in that direction helps your casual gamer, but it helps everyone else stay immersed as well. Yeah in terms of how they interact with the game, make sure that their character is relatively straightforward. Yeah. If they don't have things that they need to remember to activate, it'll just work fine. Right. Or at the very least, give them an explanation of how their character should play. <laughs> so <laughs> like, here are a couple of your abilities. Here how, Here's how they work together. Yeah, this is where, as we spoke about a few episodes ago, system mastery is really helpful when you're sort of handing them a, a character to play. In some versions of a D&D, fighter is super simple. Mm-hmm. Not 4th edition, but some versions. Right, exactly. <laughs> but if, if you want them to play the simple character, don't give them the fighter in 4th edition. Well, maybe just don't play 4th edition, actually. <laughs> it's it's going to be a lot simpler if you avoid the whole edition. Just play way. essentials. Yeah. The casual gamer also often has some trouble when you're dealing with a story that's got long arcs. When the story requires 
in-depth knowledge of those previous sessions or maybe an investment in the lore of the setting, well, you've got a gamer who probably missed more of those previous sessions than anyone else at the table. And they also are probably the person who didn't read the wiki that you so painstakingly built. Yeah. <laughs> they probably don't understand your house rules. Well, I mean, not not just that, right? You can play an Eberron game and have people who aren't familiar with Eberron. But you also have to have players who are willing to accept the conventions of Eberron when they're explained. <laughs> right. And, and then learn the bits of the lore that become important. You know, right. If you were handed a scroll with a scrap of history on it, that is obviously important. You don't need to know everything that happened in Eberron. You need to know this, though. Right, right. And they're definitely going to be the person who's like, oh, wait, really? That that happened? Yeah. Okay. Who is this NPC again? Oh, I, you know, I mean, it's it's as simple as like, if you have that casual gamer player who just wants to hang out with dragons and you're playing Eberron, you have to somehow dissuade them or make them understand that like that, that doesn't work in the setting, <laughs> right? Like dragons eat you. They don't talk to you. Yeah. And if you're not paying attention, you can have a casual gamer make a decision based on imperfect information that can derail hours and hours of gameplay. Yeah, especially if they accidentally recruit the rest of the group to their ideas. <laughs> <laughs> or if you're playing one of those sandbox games with a GM who's like, well, you know, it's kind of up to you what happens. And if you say you did it, then you did it. Right. Yeah. There's no take backs. Right. <laughs> right. That gets to be a, a definite problem with a certain kind of casual gamer. So what are some ways to, to help ease that campaign challenge with casual gamers? Well, I think there's kind of a theme we're developing here, which is the things that you do to help casual gamers often are also really helpful to other people in the group. So one thing I did in Morning Glory was relatively extensive recaps between the sessions. Like I'd email our weekly email trying to see who was going to be there this week also included a recap, which was great for the casual gamer, assuming that they read it. (laughs) But it was also really good for everyone else, even those who were really invested because it refreshed everyone's memory after like a week of work or whatever or if you know if what they happened to miss the session before and then they could be the ones to then explain it to the casual gamer if they didn't actually read the email which involves everybody at the table and not just the gm telling everyone things yeah that's the trick right is that it's not just sending the email it's also then verbally recapping it at the beginning of the session Mm -hmm. right so you get as many methods of disseminating that information as possible yeah one thing i like that you do at the beginning of sessions is you say okay one of you needs to recap what happened last time yeah i've always sent an email beforehand so like there's no secrets that need to be recapped right it's just i'm not going to be the voice talking at you one of you guys do it and bonus points for doing it in character right (laughs) But it, but it helps because you get that person and character's perspective and then everyone else is like, wait a minute, that's not what happened. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, it wasn't that way. Hang on. <laughs> and then you as the GM can be like, oh, well, actually, hold on. Yeah. There's a bit of a misunderstanding here. Let me clarify. Right. Or here's the thing that you forgot. Exactly. I also like to prod the casual gamer into having a PC that has a similar kind of aloof personality so that a lot of the casual gamers' actions can be moderated or policed by other PCs who are in character. So if the casual gamer is playing the Barbarian, which is usually actually a pretty good class for a casual gamer. Oh, yeah, definitely. You know, it's tough. They can last and you just sort of point them in the right direction and they get to hack things apart. Yep. If the Barbarian doesn't really know what's going on all the time and isn't really sure what's going on with this lore and, like, what the prophecy means, but they know that, you know, when you meet a bad guy, you 
you know, skewer the bad guy with your greatsword, that's really perfect because then the other players can be like, it's fine, Grog. <laughs> right. <laughs> you don't need to understand this. We will let you know when the time is right and do your thing. Grog, go back to like eating your toenails. Joshua, go back to browsing Reddit. Or the flip side of that, right? If you're trying to recruit Joshua, the player, is, okay, I will now explain to Grog <laughs> what's going on here. So now <laughs> Grog and Joshua both learn how this works, right? I think the other part is, you know, we talk about social contract. We, we talked about it at length. We did a whole episode on it. But it's a good idea to just go ahead and introduce that idea to the casual gamer as well. Like, hey, here's how we do things in our group. Just be fair and set expectations so that that player knows what he needs to do to continue being a part of the group. And if that means you can't miss every other week and you can't keep canceling at the last minute or you need to read the emails, <laughs> set that out up front so that everybody knows it and that he's being held to the same standard as the rest of the group. Yeah, I think that's one of the things we touched on in our episode on recruiting players. If you're going to recruit someone and you know that they're going to be a casual gamer, just set these parameters to begin with. Like, it's fine if they're not super invested in the story. They just need to make sure that they're not doing things that ruin other people's fun. Exactly. And uh, <laughs> simply requiring a four-page backstory is not enough to keep casual gamers out. <laughs> because plenty of casual gamers like writing fan fiction. Yeah. <laughs> so... That is usually the worst possible screening method that I see in online recruiting for games. I'm just like, you really don't know how this is going to turn out, do you? <laughs> yeah. A lot of casual gamers have the attention span of a cheetah. Right. They can definitely focus for a little while. Yeah. But interest is going to drop off very quickly. Exactly. <laughs> They're going to get tired. So speaking of other people's fun, the worst thing that a casual gamer can sometimes do is be disruptive in the game. Well, the worst thing any player can do is be disruptive in the game. Fine. <laughs> I mean, that's not unique to casual gamers. I don't want to paint casual gamers as the bad guys, right? Because I think casual gamers are fine and fun to play with. Yeah, every personality type we've talked about, we go through a litany of problems, Yeah, right? It doesn't mean they all do it. It's just, if this pops up... Yeah. So, so what are some ways that casual gamers tend to be disruptive? How does that disruption manifest for casual gamers? Well, sometimes they just don't show up. You know, and usually that's fine. Everybody has times when they can't show up, but casual gamers are more likely to be the one who cancels at the last minute because they got a better offer. Right. And of course, that makes it difficult when the GM planned for a particular number of players or planned for the abilities of the casual gamer's character. Or planned to center the story on that player's character. And exactly, then he... because, oh, that was going to bring them in. Right. Yeah. And then he misses his big moment. <laughs> right. But also just at the table. The energy level at the table is infectious. When one person is really into it, other people get more into it. And if one person is just not really paying attention or seems sort of listless or bored, it starts to affect other people at the table. Yet another way that RPGs are a lot like sex. <laughs> I wouldn't know. <laughs> about sex. Yeah. <laughs> Say about disinterested partners. <laughs> I think as well in the more modern age of gaming, electronics at the table are a constant risk of distraction and the casual gamer can often kind of recede into his phone or like a portable gaming thing or, you know, a comic book or something, just anything else while at the table. So you might have a casual gamer who just never looks up from his phone. And they're having a perfectly good time, but it creates a hole in, in the party and at the table. 
where obviously this person isn't paying attention, isn't invested, and other people, it starts to distract other people as well. Yeah, it's that moment of combat where you're like, all right, it's your turn, dude. Wait, what? What? Wait, wait, what happened? Where are we? Where am I? What's going on? Which one is me? Yeah, exactly. (laughs) All right. (laughs) And it's fine when it happens once because, you know, you got an emergency email from work. Mm -hmm. It's a little bit worse when it happens the third and fourth time of this combat. Right. (laughs) Yeah, and it's one thing when they're playing a game on their phone. It's another thing if, like, they're really animated about it. Right. (laughs) Or showing other people and being like, oh, wow, look at this. This is amazing. Well, okay, now two people are gone. Yeah, I mean, just distracting other players is a big problem. If you're not invested in what's going on in the game, you're doing other things, you, you know, see a funny picture on the internet, and now you've got to share that, or you want to talk about a video game that you just started playing this week, or the latest board game that's come out, or whatever it is, now you're taking away from the game that we're all gathered to play, and that's that's a problem for other players. Right, and those are all things that are fine to do at the table. Everybody does it. We're here to hang out. We have a lot of common interests besides the game, typically. It's just that there are particular times when it's better to do these things. And the casual gamer tends to be the one who does it at inopportune times. Yeah. So what's the solution? Get your group back on track. Kind of rein that discussion in early and just remind everybody, hey, we're here to play a game. We can talk about the latest Kickstarters when we take a break for pizza. Yeah, in the same way that you would nudge any other player back on track because everybody at some point gets distracted or there's at least one point during every session where the conversation gets distracted and you know you spend two minutes talking about something else. And hey, as GM, sometimes it's awesome to do that because it's fun. But just do what you normally do. All right, who's tracking initiative? <laughs> yeah, uh, the not it method is great. <laughs> <laughs> right, Because you when you're not paying attention, <laughs> you get assigned a lot of jobs. <laughs> Which is something that you can do with your casual gamer. Give them a job to do that they need to pay attention to when it's not their turn. That can be tracking initiative. It could be maybe they're the sage and they need to be making off-turn knowledge checks to figure out what the heck is going on. Or maybe while other people are role-playing with the shopkeeper, they are at the library and they're still making those checks. Of course, that can backfire. If the casual gamer is the one tracking initiative and they're still not paying attention, well, now nobody can go. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) But maybe they'll get the memo, you know, after the third or fourth time they're prompted to tell us who's next. Right, dude, who's up? Yeah. (laughs) Worst case scenario, you can always designate the out-of-game tasks, right? Hey, will you go to the door and grab the pizza from the delivery guy? Yeah, and they're, I think, more likely to be amenable to doing that because they're not doing anything else. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) It's like, And if they are doing something else, great, they're invested. Right. It's also possible that they're acting out or maybe even sort of overacting rather than staying in their shell because they're bored. You know, they just haven't had a chance to do like that one cool thing that they're actually kind of here to do or they haven't got a chance to, you know, talk to their buddy about things in real life. So you need to give them something that is really interesting or cool. And of course, what that is depends on your experience with that individual gamer. Yeah, you don't want the bottled-up boredom to all just come regurgitating out onto the table in the form of some completely off-the-wall and, frankly, out-of-character action that's really just reflecting the player not being involved more so than the character. Right, too much talking. I'm going to charge them. Yeah, exactly. You guys are trying to plan. I don't do planning, so I'm just going to roll initiative. See you guys. No, no, it's in character. I'm the barbarian, right? Right, right. you guys made me the barbarian. (laughs) So, proactively... Give them a cool thing to do. Yep. Give them a way to channel 
their character into a constructive use for the party and the story. So we mentioned it a bit earlier, but there are times when you might want to get rid of your casual gamer. And the best way to do that is to convert them from a casual gamer to an invested gamer. So this is possible. I think lots of gamers start out casually. Like I said, you want to dip your toe in the water before you jump in head first. Yeah. You remember in the 1990s? Well, maybe some of you don't. But I remember in the 1990s, most TV shows were episodic. They started, a thing happened, they ended, and then the next episode, nothing that happened in a previous episode actually mattered, and nothing really changed. Right. The episode had to end by resetting everything to zero. Right. And this happened because producers didn't really have any faith in their audience, that they didn't expect that people would watch often enough or pay attention enough to know what had happened in previous episodes. Well, right, because if you didn't see it when it was live, you missed the episode, period. (laughs) It never replayed and you couldn't record it. But think about Star Trek DS9, which was also in the 90s. It's the best series of Star Trek because it got so episodic. Sometimes 10 episode arcs, which, you know, these days 10 episode arcs seem like, eh, that's not a lot. But back then, it was it was insanely complicated. I disagree. I think episode 3 was the best Star Trek. I hate you. <laughs> Although... <laughs> Isn't that Charlie X? Fight me, nerds. That one's terrible. <laughs> oh, actually, no, I think it's uh, The Naked Now. Yeah, Are you actually three. quoting titles of Star, Star Trek, Trek episodes? episodes? Yeah, yeah. The, the third episode of the original series. Yeah, and then the homage, I think, was also the third episode of Star Trek The Next Generation, the first season. Man, I just wanted to make a joke mixing up <laughs> Star Trek and Star Wars like I usually do. <laughs> I, I don't I don't know what you're talking about. You stepped right on it <laughs> in a way that's so much more glorious, and I'm so happy you did. We can get way more into this. No, we can't. So another thing you can do to help convert players. <laughs> Tweet your Star Trek questions to <laughs> at Evil Sans Carne. <laughs> All right, back to the topic at hand. Another thing you can do to help convert casual gamers is uh, try out different combinations of system, of game master, of group composition. As you try out different things, that gamer will start to learn what he or she likes more and will kind of gravitate towards that. Yeah, maybe vampire just isn't their thing. I mean, it probably is because it's everyone's thing. Yeah. (laughs) You know, it's funny how certain games just strike certain people, Mm -hmm. right? Like, I I have friends who just don't get Fiasco. They love D&D. Likewise, I've tried to play D&D with people I thought would really get it, and it just is too fiddly and crunchy so they quickly lose interest they're all casual at this point but if i can find the right combination for each of them i'm sure they'll be more invested yeah they might be a munchkin in a different system exactly and you know we have a podcast about role-playing games so like there's hardly any system where we are the casual gamer but a lot of people have favorites and games that they just are really not interested in i don't know sometimes i am the casual gamer Honestly, especially when we're talking about board games, like sometimes I'm just like, I I just don't care about the outcome of this game. I'm just trying to like roll my dice and move my mice. Yeah, but, but you pay attention to the rules and get into the fiddly bits. I mean, that's true. It's but yeah, I don't know. Yeah, that's true. Yeah, I, you're not like, wait, am I the dog or the hat? Yeah, yeah. It's like, wait a minute, wait a minute. What do I do on my turn? <laughs> I roll both of these dice. <laughs> do I add them together? Right. Yeah. Take the better one. <laughs> do they explode? They must explode. How do you get all the way around the board? Right. (laughs) So I think the system that our group, our home group has, I like a lot because we rotate 
between systems and we rotate GMs. And sometimes there's a particular GM attached to a particular system because they want to, but not necessarily. And I think we've done a pretty good job of sort of pointing to people who haven't run a game yet and been like, hey, hey, yeah, you want to do something? You want to you run something? You pick, you pick, you run it. Yeah, as of our current games, we now have had every single player at our table has run a game. Not necessarily for us, but has run a game before. Yeah, and I think Brian's the only one left who hasn't run one for, for, for us. us. Yep. Yeah, and he, he's going to. Right. But yeah, I mean, the opportunity to GM gives you a, a chance to see the game from a different perspective. Mm-hmm. And for all the reasons that playing a single character might not be a lot of fun for a casual gamer that might turn somebody off, being a GM could activate that part of their personality that they just absolutely love. They like playing a dozen different characters in a night they like planning a story they like messing around with system encounter math you know yeah it might seem counterintuitive to hand the keys to the worst driver but like when i'm a passenger in a car i don't pay attention to where we're going at all yep Uh, and it also depends on your group right i mean if you have a good group a bad gm or or a struggling gm is not really going to impede your fun yeah you're going to role play and, and make fun for your characters Whereas if you have a group that really takes their lead from the GM, it might be a little more challenging. It might not be as much fun if that player struggles. Mm -hmm. Yeah, you can really view it as an opportunity to create a new GM, which is good for the hobby in general. So be selfless. Uh, And then, of course, the easiest way to solve most problems in gaming, talk to the player. Oh, God, really? Yeah, I know. But, you know, sometimes casual gamers do have the self-awareness to understand what it is they want to see more of Mm -hmm. they just might not feel empowered to actually express their opinion so if you ask them hey what do you enjoy what don't you enjoy you know what what can we do to help you have more fun maybe they'll have an answer and make them responsible for their own fun yeah now it's on them to have fun at the table they don't just passively sit there thinking eh, this isn't that great but you know at least i'm hanging out with these people right and then they know oh well they want me to be more invested as well and sometimes that actually really just helps those introverted types yep you know oh okay they want my input they want me to talk more right and and keep in mind they might not have an answer for you immediately mm-hmm. so it's it's the kind of thing where you got to plant the seed and then maybe follow up on it after a couple weeks right and giving them time to think and process so we got to talk about something a little bad, though, Ishan. What happens when you want to get rid of a casual gamer? Like out of the group? Yeah, you just got to cut bait. Yeah, sometimes it doesn't work. Remember, we've said that it might be that this person wants a different system or a different GM, but they might just flourish better in a different group, and your group might flourish better without them. So booting a player, I think, is a topic worthy of its own episode. Yeah. Spoiler. <laughs> but it's really a last resort you know and it's not usually necessary unless the casual gamer is consistently disruptive during the game yeah i mean that's again true of any player unless you're consistently disruptive you you should really be welcome at the table right but in the case of the casual gamer because they're not necessarily as tuned into the game they might be less aware Mm -hmm. of what's going on so you want to give them a few chances, right? Uh, communicate clearly and, and give them a chance to fix it. Yeah, above the table conversations. Hey, you know, I think sometimes playing 
a different game is distracting other people at the table? Is there anything else that you want from this? What do you want out of this? Can we help you build your character or do you want less of that? Anything along those lines. And this isn't necessarily the game master's responsibility either, Mm -hmm. especially if that casual gamer is the plus one, Right. right? The person who brings that player along is responsible for that player, in my opinion. So that should be the person who says, hey, man, you've been coming for the past six weeks. You don't seem to be having much fun. Like, what's going on here? You know, Um, do you not want to be here and you just don't want to tell me? Because, like, I'm an adult. I can take it. Yeah, maybe that's the actual answer. Maybe they didn't really want to come to this, but they didn't want to pull out because they didn't want to offend everyone at the table. And this is definitely true with significant others. Yeah. Right. Like when there's there's a huge, you know, relationship that's at risk, they might feel like. All right. So what if you are a casual gamer? First of all, how did you find our podcast? (laughs) And please tell us so we can find more of you. Right. So like we said before, you might be a casual gamer in one system, but not another. Right. So. If you know that you're going to be playing a system or a game or with a group where you're probably not going to be all that invested, you can do a few things to make everybody else have more fun at the table and to help yourself have more fun as well. You're going to want to ask yourself a few questions like, what is it that you like about RPGs in the first place? You know, why are you going to this game? Why are you going to give up a few hours to sit at this table with these people? Yeah. And then given that you have identified what it is you like about game night, What can you do to get more of that at your table? And of course, that might involve an above-the-table conversation with other adults. That might also involve leaving the table, right? Right. Mm -hmm. Like, I just want to hang out with you guys. Can we, like, get dinner once a week? (laughs) Just hang out and watch a, you know, have movie night? And that's definitely something that our group has done. Is said, hey, you know what? We haven't actually hung out without a game in a long time. Like, let's just grab drinks some night. Right. Let's go out in public and only talk about gaming. (laughs) (laughs) And sometimes that reignites your passion for gaming. Yeah, that is where we usually decide what our next game is going to be because we talk about a lot of that crap. (laughs) (laughs) You should also make sure that you are being an active player rather than just a passive player. So make sure that you are interacting with your GM to offer hooks for your character for reasons reasons that your character would be out adventuring or be involved in the storyline that the GM has presented. And then once you've actually done that, make sure you follow up on them because there's really nothing worse than planning out this big arc for this casual gamer. You're like, oh yes, finally, they're going to be involved and this is going to be awesome for them and I'm going to have these NPCs and like this mission and then they just forgot that they put that in their backstory. Right, (laughs) that's the worst as a GM when you're like, I can't lampshade it anymore. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and as a GM, you're just like, okay, dude, I threw this in there for you. Yeah, this is all for you. Right. <laughs> no one else cares about this. Right. <laughs> I didn't develop fishing rules <laughs> for nothing. Okay. <laughs> Please like them or tell me you hate them so I can ignore them. Right. <laughs> The, the other thing is to be upfront and realistic about your time and level of effort that you're able to commit to. Mm-hmm. If you're not going to be able to do anything in between games because you are just there for the four hours and that's it, be honest, right? And let the group help work around that if, if you're still going to continue playing. Yeah, if work is crazy and you know you kind of just want to veg out 
at a game once a week and you enjoy hearing the stories from other people, but you don't want to actually make too much of an effort, that's cool for most groups. And if people just know that ahead of time, they can totally work around that. Yeah. And, you know, likewise, don't be upset if you're not the, you know, spotlight character Mm -hmm. of a session very often. If you're not showing up consistently and you're not giving a lot of effort, right? The players who are putting more in are going to get a little bit more out. And that's a fine agreement to make. And then also be open to trying out different kinds of characters, different kinds of systems. And like we said before, maybe a different kind of group. And then the last thing is remember, we're glad you're here, right? We want to play games with you. Casual gamer is not a bad thing. It's okay to be casual. So have fun with us. Yeah, we wouldn't have invited you if we didn't want you here. Well, somebody wouldn't have invited you. (laughs) (laughs) And if you're a good person at a table, you're going to be welcoming to a person who's new to the hobby. Exactly. All right, do you hear that, Ishan? Uh, Oh, sorry, what? Hold on, wait, wait, I've almost got this Charizard. Just give me a second, give me a second. Wait, which one is me? All right, tell you what, uh, I'm going to skip your turn. We're going to move on to the character creation forge. Yeah, that's cool, that's cool. Yeah, and then before we do that, we need to talk about how our listeners can get in contact with us. Oh, well, we do love hearing from them. You can tweet at Shane at Mundangerous, that's M-U-N Dangerous. And you can tweet at Ishan at Evil Sans Carne, that's Malice minus Meat. And you can tweet at the show at TPTCast. You can also email us if you can't fit it into 140 characters at TotalPartyThrill at gmail.com. And you can find us on the web at www.totalpartythrillcast.com. We're also on Facebook and Instagram at Total Party Thrill. All right, so this week in the Character Creation Forge, we have the old man on the mountain. Who needn't be a man. Let's point that out. It's just a turn of phrase. Doesn't have to be old either, technically. Also true, or on a mountain. So really, the name means nothing. Like the points. The name is taken from a national park, state park in like Vermont or something. Was that the old man on the mountain? He fell off, didn't he? I don't know. Yeah. All right. What is the old man on the mountain, Ishan? <laughs> Everyone's probably familiar with this type of character. They're the wizened hermit who lives unprotected in nature, maybe out in the desert or, as the name implies, at the top of a mountain. And often the PCs or other people will go on a quest. They will seek out the wisdom of this character. You know, there's the trope of like climbing all the way to the top of the mountain to talk to the man with the very long beard who's sitting cross-legged at the top all the time and not eating. Or think about uh, Radagast the Brown Wizard in Lord of the Rings. He spends all his time out in the woods hanging out with animals. I have no idea what you're talking about, but I cannot wait to hear what this build is. (laughs) I think it even works for John the Baptist, quite honestly. (laughs) Good Lord. (laughs) Locusts and honey, man. All right, so the build is Land Druid, 15, Mountain, obviously, Open Hand Monk, 5. All right, so Monk, you're looking for extra attack. That's why you go to 5, right? Exactly, plus Stunning Strike. So in the movies, when you have the sage who sort of has all the answers, they're also usually really good at martial arts. Oh, weird (laughs) how that works, huh? (laughs) And of course, with a druid monk split, your main stat is going to be wisdom. So you are going to be very wise, very perceptive, very insightful. But you're also going to be able to punch people really hard a bunch of times around. And with open hand, you can do all those crazy shenanigans that the old master typically does in those old kind of schlocky movies, like punching people 15 feet away and you know tripping them. Right. 
Uh, of course, at 15, you'll also have 8-level druid spells. Mm-hmm. So I know you want all of the terrain-controlling spells, right? Yeah, like if you're living in the desert or at the top of a mountain, you really want control weather. <laughs> yeah, handy. <laughs> you also get earthquake, tsunami. I really like that you have access to feeble mind because it's sort of one of those tropey things where you ask the Cohen, the supplicant is here to beseech you for a bit of wisdom and perhaps they're not worthy so you touch their forehead and their intelligence becomes three wow (laughs) the old jerk of the mountain (laughs) perhaps you need to spend some time getting closer to nature with the intelligent of a vole uh you can also do things like move unhindered through difficult terrain you'll Mm -hmm. regain spells through meditation you get Uh, a lot of self-healing from cure wounds all the way up to regenerate now, you don't get ninth level spells, but ninth level druid spells are kind of, they're all right, but yeah. they don't, they're not necessary for this build. But you do get some cool spells for melee combat, which is handy, what mm. with your punchiness. There's bark skin, there's stone skin. At sixth level, you've got an array of those investiture spells from Elemental Evil. The, they'll give an immunity to a damage type or something like that, and then also sort of uh, usually make your hits uh, a little more difficult or allow you to do some cool elemental ability as an action as long as they last yeah you can also use summon spells to get creatures to fight for you yeah maybe you don't ever get up you just you're sitting there on top of that mountain surrounded by summoned creatures right (laughs) or you know if you want you can drop anti-life shell and then just throw spells when nothing can get near you and of course you've got awaken yeah so no reason you shouldn't have a whole gaggle of followers (laughs) look you're a high level druid you're aging slowly every single tree and every single animal in the desert or up on that mountain with you should be your loyal companion and servant (laughs) we're equals we're equals (laughs) right (laughs) all right Ishan. what's the backstory for your old man of the mountain uh, I'm going to go Romulus and Remus, uh, raised by wolves. Oh, okay. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Out in the uh, wilderness, right? abandoned by parents, raised by animals. But not quite like Tarzan, right? Not feral like a barbarian, but found uh, wisdom in being close to nature. Maybe a little more like Mowgli. Yeah, that was going to be the example I threw out there. Oh, was, that, was that your backstory? It was not my backstory, okay. but, but that would be the the, the <laughs> sort of middle ground example there, right? So I think they're a bit like both Romulus and Remus. This character does spend some time in civilization. You know, they're close to nature, but then they they go adventuring to see what it's like to be human. And they do realize that there are some parts of civilization that make sense to them, particularly monastery life. They like the regimented nature of that, but it's just too stifling. So, you know, after a few years of that, after developing their training, they decide, you know, I think... I can further my training on my own out in the wilderness away from other people living among the animals that raised me. Yeah, okay. Um, That's a great characterization. Well, I I think that works really well, especially as an NPC. And I think in Mm -hmm. general, this concept works really well as an NPC, especially at high level. And it struggles to have a reason to exist at low levels, right? Like it's hard to be the old man and, and be so tied to a location and yet still have to go out and gain XP, right? So I think you handle that part of it well. I would take the feral side of that, where you're naturally more of a druid, but your observations of nature 
your your understanding of natural selection and survival of the fittest, right, have led you to this natural regimented order to ensure survival. So the monk flavor really comes in from your self-discipline that's required to remain at the top of the food chain. Uh, so not official training. No. And as much as it's a religious or, or oath-based kind of order, it's more of, a, of an honor of nature and the natural order of things. Mm-hmm. Yeah, kind of like a, a primeval spirit sort of idea, more so than it is a uh, a documented, you know, taught from elder to junior. I really like the idea that the monk abilities are named after animals, as they are sort of traditionally, but that you de- literally develop them by watching animals. You know, crane style is because you watched a crane. Yeah, except that I would really want to name Stunning Strike Falcon Punch. <laughs> Named after the great warrior, Captain Falcon. Of course, right. (laughs) All right. If you want to support the show, the easiest way to do that is to leave us a five-star review on iTunes. And if you're willing to help us out, we'll read your five-star review on the air. You can also find us on Stitcher. It's like a Pandora for podcasts. If you like or favorite us there, the algorithm will help other people find us. So what do we have planned for next week's episode? We're talking about that legendary artifact that has ruined more campaigns than any other. The Deck of Many Things. And in the character creation forge, we're building the gambler. Well, that's it for episode 60 of Total Party Thrill. I hope we've lived up to our name, but either way, I'm Shane. And I'm Ishan. Thanks for listening. Mm-hmm.